when it's your full-time business and job of developing things, you've just got to keep developing them and, and hope that you pick up some wins on the way and hope that you pick up in the revenues when you go to sell them. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 107 of the show. Thanks for joining me. I hope you're well. I'm doing fine. Pretty busy at the moment because as I'm recording this, we're at the end of the year and the builder reckons they're going to achieve practical completion in the next week or so on my project that's been bubbling away for a couple of years now. And that's exciting that they're nearly finished, but the industry shuts down in about two weeks. So there's a mad scramble to try and wrap everything up before that break. The builder reckons they're going to achieve practical completion in about a week. I'm not sure that they're going to get there, but we'll see. There's a whole bunch of defects to fix. And then all those final items that get done in the big push to the finish line. So it'll be great to get all that wrapped up. It's been a bit of a journey and I might share some more about that in an upcoming episode. So dealing with that has been taking up quite a bit of my time on my other project. We've just been fine tuning the floor plans and doing some more work on the site level so that we can get the earthworks underway early in the new year. So busy end to the year for me. I hope it's been a productive and exciting end of the year for you. It's been a great year for the property developer training. I've had lots and lots of people signing up. So thank you to everybody that has joined the training. I'm very excited for you. They're going to be making 2024 a great year. And if that's something that you want to do, you want to take action on that dream of becoming a developer, then please check out everything that's available at www.propertydevelopertraining.com. I've just added some new content into the training, which was a discussion I had with Mark Lovett, who was my guest on the last episode of the podcast, where we both shared our top five things that we would suggest to fledgling developers on what they should focus on if they want to succeed at property developing. So that was a really awesome conversation and that module is now in the property developer training. So if you want to get started in developing, please check out everything that's in the training. I'm sure you're going to love it. If you want to find out how ready you might be to get started in property development, be sure to check out the quiz at propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz. And remember, you can always find me on the socials, particularly on Instagram and Facebook. I have been putting up lots of videos about how my project is coming along and how it's looking now that we're getting close to wrapping up. So if you want to check out what that looks like, then head over to the handle of Property Developer Podcast and take a look. So before we get into today's guest, I just want to take a moment to say a big thanks to you for tuning in throughout the year. I hope you've had a productive and prosperous year and I wish you all the best for 2024 and please keep tuning in. I've got a lot more episodes left in me with great guests coming up. Okay, on to today's guest, a regular on the show, Dan Holden from Holden Capital. For those who don't know, Dan started in property in 2001 as a development manager for Projects before moving into project finance and then founding his own firm in 2011. He's since won Commercial Broker of the Year, three years running, 
and Holden Capital is Australia's number one specialist construction finance group. So he certainly knows his stuff when it comes to developments and development finance. Dan has featured on episodes 14, 35, 56, 68, and 96. They're all worthy of a re-listen or a listen if you haven't heard them yet. We cover really awesome territory in all of those conversations. In this conversation, we are going to take a look at the state of the lending market and what's ahead for the next 12 months. We cover how construction delays have been affecting projects, the impact of rising costs, and how lenders are responding. There's a lot to get through, so let's jump right in. Dan Holden, welcome back once again to the Property Developer Podcast. Thanks, Justin. Good to be here. I've lost track of how many times you've been on the show, so fair to say uh, you're a regular guest, which is nice. Yeah, no, it's good to uh, catch up and, and I guess, yeah, share some share some insights. So I realised it's been pretty much exactly a year since you are on the show, so um, it was remiss of me not to get you on before now, but here we are. I wanted to have another conversation about finance uh, and what's happening in the funding markets. So given it's been a year, there's probably going to be a bit to cover because quite a lot has happened. I think yep. about a year ago, the cash rate was hovering around 1% and it's gone up significantly since then. So why don't you give us a bit of a, a look back, a wrap on the year and where you think we're headed next year in 2024? Yeah, um, absolutely. So I guess starting off with that that cash rate and, and how it's impacted project finance and, and the world that, that we live in, it, it's funny because always been a um heard the saying in in kind of the non-bank lending space that you know if a project is that fine margin that you need bank finance to make the project work then the project doesn't stack up anyway um but now we're seeing you know uh the difference between you used to be able to borrow from at bank rates maybe 18 months ago when the cash rate was zero uh and now it's gone up i think 14 or 15 times since then and now the non-bank lending rate is pretty much at 10 or 11%, no matter where you go. Everyone seems to be kind of moving with market forces around the same kind of rate and the same kind of uh, terms on offer. It, it definitely has knocked a few projects around viability-wise, particularly when you couple it with the uh, increase in construction costs, an extra couple of months to finish projects. We're seeing plenty go over time, uh, over budget. Um, it, it's definitely knocked quite a few things around, um, and, and I guess many that we're seeing now, I'd say more, more than half in the last six months that we see, uh, you know, pretty poorly viable. Whereas if you rewind, you know, twelve months, six months ago, uh, they all would have had a lot better, um, you know, better outcomes, better viability, better push ahead. Uh, so we're seeing a lot that get either. Uh, mothballed and and parked for a period of time, uh, or some that are I guess already pregnant and have just got to push on and and just get it get it done, uh, either because they've already cleared the site or um, you know, uh, I guess when it's your full time uh, business and job of developing things, you've just got to keep developing them and and hope that you pick up some wins on the way and hope that you pick up in the revenues when you go to sell them as completed products. And thankfully, we are seeing plenty that that are benefiting from that. Um, the, the finance that we provide, we don't require pre-sales. Um, sometimes 
we fund projects that have them because they were trying to get bank finance and they got frustrated and they end up coming to us to to fund it without pre-sales. But we're definitely seeing ones that are finishing now uh, getting a better result than their pre-market valuations. And and you say, well, obviously, because that's you know what happens in in a year or so. But uh, we've also seen in the last twelve months, compared to the twelve and twenty-four months prior to that, where the market was going up at a rate of knots, it's definitely calmed down. And and some people would say gone uh, slightly backwards during twenty twenty-three uh, in terms of the revenues and where people were projecting them to be. So we're seeing the developer picking up the benefit mainly through it just being. Uh, a completed product, people can buy it, move in in 30 days. Uh, and I guess a lot of that fear around engaging a builder yourself as a mum and dad, non-property person, that that is very evident now in what we're seeing in, in raw land sales of land subs that we're funding. Um, but also you're seeing that it flip side when you've actually got completed product that people can move in in 30 days' time, you're seeing that it's actually being you know, competitively bid for and uh, and that's where the developer's picking up the benefit by having, um, you know, stock that is ready for sale and ready to move into. So, yeah, overall, I guess the year has been, um, uh, you know, probably the themes that we've seen is definitely the, you know, the extra 4% interest rate on the cost of funding has made some things less attractive and less viable. But when you couple it with the increased construction costs, uh, which we think is, is coming down slightly, um, it's made quite a number of projects uh, not as viable and um, a number have had to go back to the drawing board and, and reconfigure or re-approach uh, things to try and make it work well, worthwhile. Yeah, there's quite a few points there that I want to tease out with you. But just with the sales of completed stock, I mean, that's something that I've witnessed and, in, and are experiencing myself at the moment with a sales campaign. Even being very close to completion, Buyers are still wary about um, about finalising a sale. They actually want the product finished. They want to be able to walk through it, get yep. the light switches on before yep. they'll commit to a contract. Absolutely. And, yeah, the, the feedback I'm getting is uh, unless they can settle in 30 days, they don't want to touch it. If it's subject to this and subject to the driveway being pulled and the, the lifts being installed, they, they're just still uh, hesitant to um, uh, part with their deposit and, and sign a contract that they could end up tied up with for months and months. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely interest, interesting space, and as I say, it ha- conversely has a benefit and a and a disadvantage to people selling raw land that uh, isn't attractive anymore. And where um, I think three projects we've funded this year, we've actually included uh, funding for sticks and bricks construction for the developer to do uh, to sell completed product. So let's say we cut uh, thirty six blocks of land, um, we've included on the tail end enough. Uh, extra funding capacity to put up 10 sticks and bricks so that they could sell completed product. Um, and the other 26 lots, say, would would mainly be going to other builders who will then buy it on builders' terms or settle and then uh, fund a construction of a new house themselves so that they can fund it. But you're not getting bowled over in the rush anymore with these, uh, you know, not speculators, but the, the people who are happy to buy a piece of land, go to a uh, builder's display village, pick their preferred builder, Put the whole thing together themselves, and take that. Uh, I guess man- both the management of it, but the risk of it, um, and that's mainly around yeah cost overruns, time delays, then paying the mortgage the whole way along. You know, there's all that kind of stuff that we're getting hearing back secondhand that is uh, 
causing a, a bit of a gap in that market. Uh, and conversely, if you've got product that is built, you're just saying it um, not walk off the shelf, but definitely there's uh, a huge demand there for it, which is good to see. Yeah, well, I can certainly attest to the delays uh, getting stuff built as well. I think we're probably going to be about 12 months behind schedule by the time my latest project finishes. So it's been a, a real battle out there. I'm sh- sure I'm not the only one. Definitely. I mean, we've seen, yeah, some, uh, I guess, that we're funding that we've seen similarly where it should have been a 12 tops 14-month build and, yeah, they're in month 20. And uh, it's it's not, uh, yeah, and the frustrating thing is it's not even through bad management or, uh, um, you know, um, neglect or anything. It's just that's how long it's taking to get, uh, you know, particularly quality jobs uh, done. And, uh, you know, I guess some some factors we've seen for that is builders taking on more jobs than they can handle in a, in a given month and scheduling because uh, they just want to lock it in and have surety of future work. Uh, that's one, one particular thing. Uh, I know 2021 and 2022 was filled with availability of materials and supply of uh, actual products to help construct the thing. Um, but now it seems to be freed up and now it seems to be actually just labour and getting, uh, you know, guys on site. Um, uh, you probably heard the saying, the, the white ute test, when you go to a site and you see uh, a bunch of white utes, there you go, excellent, this thing's actually pumping along and, and we're going to get some nice drawdowns. I mean, we, we see it in our monthly drawdowns. We're funding 30 or 40 projects at a given time. And uh, so every month on every project, we see the drawdown and we go, well, hang on, you know, you've got a uh, a $6 million loan here. You should be drawing down uh, at least half a mil a month and you get a drawdown for 180 grand. You go, oh, what happened this month? Nothing. Like there's just, yeah. And and uh, so then we look at the cops complete and you can see that graph in the QS report where it says projected drawdown and then actual drawdown. And it's like, what's happening? Like there's just, there's just, yeah, crickets and, uh, yes, I mean, some developers are on site themselves trying to hurry things along and, um, but, I mean, there's, yeah, there's just not much they can do, I guess. It's it's choosing a good builder and, you know, choosing appropriate finance and and um, some of them are, are being benefited by that by, by the time you actually do deliver. The uh, lack of competing projects means that you end up with a better result in the GR, um, but it's, uh, you know, you're lose a few air follicles trying to battle it until you get there and and uh yeah it's definitely definitely proving i think more challenging uh for the for the junior developers to uh who might have just started to actually find their way through and and navigate it in a you know calm relaxed manner it's um definitely more challenging and and i think you know the barrier to entry is probably a little bit high now for property developers to be um to be in there making making a start yeah, well, you've just described my monthly experience, Dan, watching my project in the QS report with the projected cash flow versus the yes. actual gap getting wider and wider each month. Yeah, and it's frustrating as well because you see the cost, you know, blow out two hundred grand on the build, and then you know that your interest bill is also going to blow out another eighty grand for the extra two months. Um, and you know, unless you do, it, uh, you've picked a good location that you know is going to benefit in the GR. Sometimes it's just your profit margin dwindling every month uh, as a result. So um, yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely the time to be strategizing and thinking about ways you can uh, deliver it better and smarter and faster. Uh, in normal times, lenders would be looking at a 
six month blowout or a 10 month, 12 month blowout and just thinking, right, we're going to have to do something here. Uh, but given it's happening across the board, and I know lenders in general are being fairly tolerant and understanding, or at least the good ones are, yep. what are you seeing and hearing across the lending sector in terms of their views about these delays and how long are they going to allow it to go on for? Yeah, I think you're right. We've been you know, pretty orderly uh, in the way that most of the lenders have carried themselves, which is great, um, uh, and a similar I guess compliment I've been funding since prior to the GFC and a similar compliment to the lenders back then that, you know, in, the, sometimes as a lender, the worst thing you can do is rush in and put an MIP mortgage and possession sign up and, and kick the current operator out because they've got, I guess, the IP, the, you know, intellectual knowledge of the, of the project and where things are, where the variables are, where the risks are. The best guy to manage it is the guy who's currently there. Uh, um, unless he's, you know, no money, honey, and can't contribute anything to um, really see it through, you're better off working with the current um, person to to get it done. Uh, I'd say in the last month we've seen uh, a pretty marginal increase in site sales for MIP, um, and that really comes down to, you know, lending on a development site is is probably the the more riskier lending that you can do uh, as as a lender because. The only way out is construction uh, or sell it. <laughs> um, you know, particularly when you see guys demo the house, you go, "Well, now you can't even sell it as a house." Uh, you know, to a first home buyer because it's it's just a vacant site. Um, so we're seeing the site sales MIP um, tick up in the last month. I've noticed it uh, considerably. Uh, I think there was some prior that were not MIP. It was just, "Hey, it's time to sell or repay us or." You know, either give us, say you've got a two mil site loan on a three mil site, you can either give us 200 grand to prepay your next six months of interest. And if you don't have it, then you've got to sell it yourself. Uh, we're seeing that now in more severe situations. The lender's just appointing MIP and um, saying, sorry, can't can't do it. Um, and to, to expand on that as a lender's point of view, the reason why that you know, lending 65% LVR on a site purchase, two mil on a three mil site purchase. The reason that is risky is because that three mil site that they've purchased and now have DA for, you know, construction quotes, it's shovel ready. Um, generally speaking, if you're geared that highly on the site purchase loan, when you look at the construction funding table, they're probably, uh, that project is probably a 10 mil TDC project, you know, 14 mil GR or thereabouts. The, on a 10 mil TDC project, most lenders are going to pull up at about an 8 mil loan to cost. Uh, banks are going to be 7.5 mil, even 7 mil. As the loan to cost ratio, they'll want to see 25, even 30% of the equity of the TDC in the capital stack from the developer's equity. And sure, that can be a little bit of uplift from buying it well and adding value, but most of the time they want to see hard cash. So if you're buying a three mil site that has a 10 mil TDC, you need, particularly with bank funding, you need two and a half mil of cash in that deal. So if we, where are, as a site lender, where I two mil, you've only got one mil in the deal, you need to either win lotto, finish your other project, or, or some event has to happen between that site loan and the construction funding being real and tangible and, and viable. Um, and so that's why site lending is a higher risk for us. I just thought I'd expand on that because people, um, 
sometimes say, well, you know, what do you care? Just lend 65%. It's easy, right? And you go, well, it's actually not. Um, and even if we look at that as a lender ourselves, knowing we're going to do the site loan and then roll into construction, and we do that plenty of times where we go, yep, help you buy the site. Um, before we lend the two mil on the three mil site purchase, we're looking at the overall portfolio of projects the developer has, the balance sheet available for them to put into it. Uh, and if, for example, we needed to fund the seven mil construction for the 10 mil TDC and it needed two mil in and there was no event happening in the portfolio between now and then, it means we end up having to, you know, essentially put ourselves in a mess position for another 12, 15, 18 months. And so that's why it has that high risk portion to it. Whereas if we can lend someone two mil on a three mil site purchase and it's November 23 and we can see that in March and April, they've got their last 10 pack that they're just finished now, settling, selling and putting money back in the kitty, we can see that it's going to be organically uh, roll into being a project. But if not, and the current project stalls, um, stumbles, all of a sudden we're at two and a half mil on a three mil site because they haven't had the money to put in to keep the interest bill alive um, and, and they don't have the balance sheet to actually get it out of the ground. So, yeah, there's a number of risks in, in site lending and, and that's what we're starting to see now is those loans that were probably six months ago, nine months ago. Yep, should be right. No worries, 65 LVR on a site loan, no problems. We're already starting to see problems uh, uh, come up in that Um uh, across, you know, not just uh, Brisbane, but uh, also I've seen them in Sydney. There's been a heap in Sydney recently, and, and that's around undercapitalised developers, the ones that I've seen anyway, and there's been at least half a dozen, undercapitalised developers who can't actually turn that site loan into a project. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, is a, it is a high risk category for us as a lender. And then touching on construction costs, because they have, they are elevated and they've been moving ahead of end sales prices, which has been causing issues with feasibilities. There has been some stabilisation in some parts, not all, and there, there are higher construction costs at the moment. So what are you seeing in terms of how developers are approaching that? Yeah, so I think um, it's hard when you're already pregnant with a project that you've got to push ahead with. Uh, as I commented earlier, I've seen a number of developers just push ahead anyway. Um, and, you know, we've, we have funded and have been asked to fund a bunch of projects that don't necessarily work from a project viability point of view, but they still want to push ahead. Um, I'm generally in support of that so long as the developer is strong enough, experienced enough, um, and that they're taking an educated uh, and informed punt. Uh, because if you're building a, a 10 mil TDC project, and the valuation, valuer says the GR is 11, it doesn't sound really cool, right? But if you know that they bought the site in June 2022, which I think was roughly the, the height of the excitement in the marketplace, um, they probably just paid too much for the site. And, you know, the it's probably they should have bought it for two, but they've already bought it. The construction cost, you know, they would have loved it at five and a half, but it's now six and a bit. And the GR has probably softened eight to 10%. And so it just doesn't look pretty, right? Um, but if the developer's well healed uh, and got good experience and got a good balance sheet and they still want to push ahead with it, I'm generally in support of that and I've funded a few of them like that. Um, but they're hoping to pick up some wins on the delivery 
uh, and they're they're definitely relying on picking up a decent amount in the GR. But also, they've you know they've in those numbers and those metrics, they've probably got a mil and a half tied up in the in the thing anyway that they want to see through and realise and and get it out. And so, how we fund that as a um, as a lender is essentially we lend on the project related site value of that TDC, so that we still see enough um, hurt money and cash equity in the deal. That we know they're going to see it through and 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 get the project finished and uh, and get that out. So you know, if it was a ten mil TDC project, it's probably now a nine and a bit mil TDC. We'll lend our gearing ratios on that adjusted TDC amount. Um, but some lenders will just say, oh, "I don't want to touch it at all." Um, um, we'll we'll generally try and roll the sleeves up and see if we can solve it. Yeah, that's another thing that I've been hearing and experiencing myself is just around softening valuations. Yep, it's uh, it's definitely one that I think you know. Again, if you if you're applying the same, you know, the rigid metrics on the projects that you're buying, and not just buying because you need another project because you haven't bought one in three months, therefore you need to buy another one. Um, you know, if you're buying projects for the right reasons, uh, you generally find it won't be as bad. But we have seen yeah some bad examples where you know you take you take ten or fifteen percent off the GR and you add ten percent of the costs. Add another two months to the delivery. You sensitise it on all areas, which is basically what's happened in the last eighteen months, right? Everything's copped a bit of a knock, and it just it just doesn't look as pretty. Yeah, it's been uh, a bit challenging, and all the time, or particularly in the last year and continuing ahead, people piling into the country. New migrants, yeah. immigration tap is fully on. But I think that's what's going to save projects as well because we're seeing, you know, we haven't seen property prices fall off a cliff. We've just seen them possibly correct. Um, uh, and if anything, we're, you know, most of the mainstream media anyway is saying that they're back on the rise and and it's uh, full steam ahead. So, um, and if you look at the sheer replacement cost of anything, you kind of go, well, it, it has to go that way, <laughs> really, because if you're after new product, um, sexy, shiny new product, you, you, the buyers are just going to have to pay uh, to get in, get in and, and get the, uh, you know, the new shiny stuff. Otherwise, they'll be living in 50-year-old, um, you know, uh, older accommodation uh, f- to suit their budget, not the newer sexy stuff. And there's always been a decent premium between new and sexy and shiny and, and infill metro versus uh, an old house that you need to, you know, spend five or ten grand a year renovating each year. So um, uh, I just think maybe that gap's got to got to increase a bit. Yeah, and it's funny uh, in terms of getting insurance as well because I've just been looking at that for my project, which is almost complete, and then the the cost, the project build cost versus the replacement cost. Is already different so yeah. whatever it's costing us to get built is actually not what it would cost to replace if it started again today it's like 20 25 percent more yeah yeah it's, it's a funny little thing but um yeah be interesting to see how it plays out and it's a real patchwork across the country in terms of how markets are going and how developments are going i know it's different in melbourne to sydney to brisbane to adelaide to perth it's like a real patchwork going on I think, um, yeah, I mean, we're active in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. We used to lend in Perth, but we did a couple and uh, decided there was easier things to do. So uh, we now just do Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, I think we've probably got 30 active projects in Brisbane. Um, I think we've got about seven or eight in Sydney and probably four in Melbourne. Um, And, yeah, so we are across all of those markets. 
Um, I guess also where we only fund short form construction. So, you know, we don't do um, multiple basements. We don't do uh, kind of crazy long term, uh, which I think is higher risk. Um, so most of the stuff we are doing is, you know, 30 lot land sub, uh, a childcare centre, um, you know, 20 townhouses in a stage. It, it, it is that short form in and out. Um, and so if you do cop a bit of a knock on, on costs or uh, a bit of a, um, a knock on the GR, it's usually not a massive magnitude. Most of the loans we fund are between 2 and 15 mil per, per loan per project. So, yeah, we're seeing... Um, Definitely seeing some some differences in, um, amongst the projects, but overall we're seeing most people see it through and get the job done and get on to the next one because most of them are full-time property developers. That's how they make their money. They've got to get out there and trade property. They're not there to collect it and put on the mantelpiece. They've got to uh, turn it over and, and keep things moving. Actually, speaking of how long it can take to pull a project together, I've just finished reading a book called Billionaire's Row that you might be interested in about the super tall towers in new york that got built in the last sort of 15 20 years those projects that's how they take 10 or 15 years to pull together while these guys accumulate properties at the base so they can build the towers up and it takes them five six years just to accumulate the properties and then 10 15 years to make it all happen and (laughs) the capital stacks on those things are ridiculous amazing all right i'll have a look for it sounds good you'll enjoy uh, a book like that um i touched on the valuations and how that's affecting land values and end values sponsors are having to throw in more cash um at the time that we're talking the queensland government's just announced a boost to the first homeowners package which seems like throwing fuel on the fire what's what's your view about that yeah so probably only a couple of projects that we fund uh have exposure to that so uh, one of our clients, long-term clients, is that house and land developer. Um, and, yeah, hopefully they see some benefit from it. Most of the other stuff that we are funding is um, either empty nester or medium higher end, um, you know, third and fourth home buyer type stuff, uh, as in the price point is more luxury. It's not entry level. Um, but, yeah, we've, we've just uh, actually we're settling one this week for 36 lots land sub. So but hopefully by the time they're ready to uh, get the sales in that 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 helps the buyers um it's normally that outlier region uh sorry outlying uh regional uh fringe stuff that you see gets the benefit from that um so yeah hopefully it does help uh kick things along a bit and um gives a bit of a boost and then what about casting our eyes forward dan to 2024 what are you seeing there or hoping for yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it, it goes back to being boring and and being predictable. Um, I think that's the the hardest part that we've faced over the last two or three years is just it. it probably developers have taken a, a knock from here, there, and everywhere. And um, you know, I'm just hoping it goes back to being boring, predictable, measurable. Um, you know, that's the the ideal scenario is that you know that the uh, you know costs might go up five percent, but your GRs go up five or eight percent, and that you're uh, able to see the project through in an orderly fashion and and not have things um, you know come out of left field. I've seen plenty of projects in the last twelve or eighteen months, copper th- you know two to three month delay just from like one issue like titling or QU or connecting the you know the their services to the adjoining neighbour or little things like that that you kind of can't 
you know, no matter how well you are at managing things, they still pop up and you still kind of can't overcome them quickly enough for them to, uh, until they've taken a bit of a dent in your, um, in your, your project. So, um, yeah, I, I guess hopefully just back to boring, <laughs> simple, manageable problems. Um, uh, and, it, and it feels like it's getting that way with construction costs calming a bit. Uh, with less job starts, there's hopefully more available labour to deliver these things on time. Uh, and potentially on budget, the costs have gone up astronomically in the last three, four years post-COVID. Uh, hopefully that comes and, and you know, things are predictable. Like I think that was also what was uh, seeing the frustration for property developers was that they, you know, by the time you acquired a contract at a site, the quote you had was four months ago and all of a sudden you've got to add 20% to actually sign a contract with a builder that could was available and ready to take it on. And, um, you know, then you, even from then, you still get construction cost increases during the project. Um, I mean, even up here, particularly on the Gold Coast, trying to actually find a builder that can do the work um, when you're in that middle market of 10 to 30 mil uh, build contracts, there's there's hardly any builders that are that you would want to do the project that are actually available to do it. Um, and the ones that are able to do it will only do it for people they know and like and trust. Um, so just because you're a new developer on the block and you want to try and buy this cool project and do it, um, you know, a, a lot of the builders in that space are, are only dealing with people they, they already know um, for risk of project completion, for risk of payment, for risk of the way they're going to carry carry themselves and, and you know, carry on like a goose through the whole project. They, it's just not worth the risk for them with what they've been through to deal with a new person they don't know. Uh, and it, it, it's probably, you know, somewhat similar for us in the lending space where, you know, if if we're got enough, if you know, if we can fund 40, 50 projects next year with our repeat clients, why do we need to take someone on that we just met, you know, uh, yesterday on a Zoom call who says they're all all great and fancy and whatever, and yet they've got you know not a strong balance sheet and not a strong project history. Um, it's it's getting back to um, you know proper relationship lending and and the builder space is exactly the same. Uh, you know, in this market, it's not the time for. Uh, to go cheap or tacky or trial new builders or new lenders. You want the guys who have been there, done that, and um, are going to be there to help, to help you see it through. So do you think we're going to have a stabilisation in the cash rate through 2024? Uh, I mean, it's definitely looking that way. I was reading something this morning that Switzer said, uh, uh economist guy, um, kind of saying, yeah, we'll know in the next kind of two or three weeks if, if February's but hopefully that would be the final one. Um, uh, so yeah, from four four three five to four point six, uh, they're kind of thinking that that would be the final um, clincher to to get it things to calm down. Um, I think they were saying the uh, wage growth that came out a week or so ago was the uh, the the real killer that pushed it up at Melbourne Cup Day. So hopefully um, hopefully it calms out, um, it calms down. And I think what's interesting and, and what we saw between the um, Cash rate rises from where it was. So uh, fifth, 18 months ago, the RBA was 0.1. It's now 435. Um, 18 months ago, we were lending money at 695. We're now uh, 9.6, um, potentially have to push to 995. Um, so even though they've gone up 4.5%, we've only gone up uh, less than 3. Um, uh, and, yeah, so it's, it's interesting that it's not, necessarily directly correlating some lenders 
chose to go RBA plus or BBSY plus. Um, we kept our lending at it's the same rate throughout, so it's more manageable for the borrower, um, and that we find is a, a fair way to do it. Um, so yeah, I, th I think they're saying that, or Switzer and, and other economists are saying, the end of 2025 it might might see some some calming and potentially reversal, but they're seeing one percent maximum. So if it did get to four six by the end of 2025, it might be uh, three point six um, as a as a cooling or, or mechanism, but yeah, you, you never know. They might need to turn the wick up real quick and, and drop it 2%, but it doesn't seem that they do. Mm, well, it's going to be interesting to see. I think, as you say, it's stabilisation that people like. It's the rapidity or how quickly things change that really upsets a lot of people. It's very hard to manage when there's that frequency of changes and things are going up so quickly. Yep. Uh, I think it's uh, hopefully more calming, calming ahead. All right, Dan, anything else uh, you wanted to mention before we wrap things up? Um, yeah, probably just, I guess, a little synopsis or my synopsis anyway of the lending market. So um, we've had banks kind of did, did come back a little bit, uh, as in that they were wanting to get money out. Um, they were wanting property developers as clients. Um, I wouldn't say, that, yeah, they were trying to get money out, but they were more open to having property developers as clients. Um, obviously, property developers to a bank is a, is a risk category they don't love, um, but they obviously love lending money and doing doing loans, but just not necessarily property developers. Um, as as a you know group, they generally put them together and lump them together as a, as a risky category. Um, but we did see the banks kind of, uh, you know, put in a bit of effort, I'd say, is a polite way to put it this year, um, which is good. Um, but obviously, to, to get bank funding, you need uh, a good balance sheet, good history, um, you know, uh, preferably an arm's length builder. They're still a little bit tough on owner builders. Um, uh, you need a decent amount of cash to put in because they're only going to fund 70 or 75% of TDC. Um, and so what we're seeing there is that the non-bank market, which is generally more flexible, Lower pre-sales, they'll lend you more money, so you're putting in less cash. Um, you know, they'll take on slightly less experienced uh, developers, and if you haven't done it for ten years, they'll still uh, look at you as a borrower. Um, and so, the, the premium that people are paying for that, like at the moment, where I think two and a half percent more expensive than a bank, um, they get back in benefit. So it's you know cost benefit analysis that it makes sense to do. Um, and what we're seeing is that, yeah, the, the non-bank lending market has risen the last, you know, three years, four years uh, and, and become quite dominant. Um, uh, definitely in the above 25 mil loan category space, it's it's become very competitive in the last two years. Um, there's been a lot more superannuation money uh, being pushed into our sector. Um, they're seeing it as kind of, you know, uh, 10% per annum for them as a as a return to lend invest in in funds like ours as being a good safe bet first mortgage 65% LBR good experience sponsors so we're seeing that above 25 mil space being very competitive um, the space that we're in the kind of two to 15 mil uh, there's been some recent entrants um, uh, I've seen more than three uh, retreat out of construction already this year so they were maybe doing home loans and thought we can do construction. Uh, it can't be that hard, right? And then uh, three of them already this year have packed up and gone back to wherever they came from. Um, 
two lines that we did this year was was from a lender like that who essentially went we don't want to you know see this thing through um and we don't want to um play in this space anymore basically um so yeah it's it's not not for everyone and and that goes back to my comment before about uh builders and lenders are not the kind of um trades or consultants you want to trial uh, and hope they know what they're doing uh, because yeah, we've seen a couple of examples where they didn't, and it ended up costing the the borrower, uh, you know, new establishment costs, new mucking around, new everything to get that done. Um, and and likewise, we've actually done probably four loans this year that we've taken over another lender position to see the project through. So you know, they've taken a twelve month construction loan when they probably needed fifteen. The current lender's gone. Yep, uh, but if you need to put in. 700 grand cash to keep this loan facility and kick it another six months. And so we've come in with maybe two or three progress claims to finish and given them another six or nine months to, to finish the job properly uh, and carry out an orderly sales campaign uh, and get, get the project finished um, in, in due time. So, um, yeah, even those types of things, it's worth just keeping in mind when you're interviewing lenders like us um, or coming to us as a broker that you have these things in the back of your mind, like a little shopping list checklist that you want to uh, think at, just the same as you'd have when you go to approach a builder, um, asking what are the jobs they're doing, um, asking how they treat, you know, time delays, cost overruns, all that kind of stuff. They're the same questions you should be asking us uh, on the financing side is, um, you know, how long have you been doing it? Um, you know, what do you do when things go wrong? All these types of things, uh, as I say, I'll just repeat again, uh, it's not the time to be trialling uh, a, a guy having a go at being a builder or uh, some company that has done home loans for 10 years and you're their second customer as a construction borrower. It's not the time to be trialling in, in that stuff. It's it's go with the tried and proven. Uh, well, I would argue there's very few times during a development to do that, Dan, <laughs> to be trialling. I've seen people do it, though, like, yeah, these... These these lenders that thought they'd have a crack at construction lending and uh, you know they're they're retreating and and the you know the borrower probably didn't think they were doing anything wrong but now they're having to find a new home and uh, and in a hurry in some cases so it's uh, yeah uh, as I say in building you shouldn't or usually shouldn't pick the cheapest quote because they probably missed something um, we're, we're probably seeing similar in uh, you know picking a specialist construction lender that uh, knows what they're doing and and can handle things properly. Yeah, well, in my property developer training program, that is a message that I stress to people, particularly when it comes to getting construction funding, you want to be talking to a lender or a broker who actually knows what they're talking about, not uh, somebody who says they're a broker and has can help you. That is not the way you want to go. And same thing with builder. You want to make sure that you're finding a builder that can build the stuff that you're doing, not somebody is having a crack at that for the very first time yep and, and same goes when you're picking like um you know the, the valuer that is going to do the project valuation the qs that you're going to talk to every month for your drawdowns you know picking the right consultants on that stuff also helps um you know some lenders only give you one choice or you know don't let you talk to the valuer because they don't want you to coerce them into thinking something differently um you know, we think it's uh, better for the value to meet the developer on site and have a walk around and, you know, get uh, it's it's up to you to pitch your project to them. Why did you buy it? Why do you love this project? Why is it the best project that's coming out of the ground this year? Like, you know, you should have that face-to-face -face contact with them to explain 
all the reasons that you love this project. Um, whereas some lenders say, no, you're not allowed to talk to them. Um, I don't want you to meet them. I don't want you to coerce them. It's pretty hard to coerce a value, but most of them uh, most of them think the sky's not blue, it's grey, and, and uh, convince me otherwise. So we're uh, pretty open to, to all that stuff. And, and likewise with the QS, you know, you're, you're going to be interacting with these guys um, uh, most months. You're going to want to understand what their view is on some things. You know, what about pre-ordering things before they're on site? How do we pay for that? What about, you know, when the lift gets there, how, how do we claim it as part of the progress draw? Have all those discussions up front so you know how things are going to be approached. Otherwise, it comes to the moment and you don't know and you freak out and you have a tantrum and you look like a goose and, you you know, you're the one that looks silly in the end if you don't uh, ask all these things up front. So um, I'd definitely say, you know, in, interview, evaluate the QS, interview the builders, interview the lenders, ask them all these questions and and get comfort that the, they're the bright people doing the job for you. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the QS because over the last 18 months on my own project, he has actually probably been the most crucial person that I've uh, been talking to and getting advice and help from when things have been a bit really challenging. And if you asked me that at the beginning of the project, I just wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, it can be uh, it can be critical, particularly, yeah, the amount of cost overruns, time delays and everything we've had on nearly all projects in the last, you know, two to three years, uh, they're the guys who are going to come up with some weird and wonderful solution that you'd never thought of because they're working across so many different projects at that one point in time. Um, you know, it's like us. We're funding 30, 35 projects at any one time. We're seeing what everyone else is going through and we're, you know, coming up with solutions how to help uh, these projects get finished. Um, so, you know, we're there as a resource not just to to borrow money from it. So you want those guys on your team. I mean, that's why um, I think one of the guys you've had uh, on your podcast, we've funded, I think, 15 or 16 times in the last two or three years. Um, you know, he sees us as part of his team that we, uh, you know, we're not on site building the thing for him, but we're part of the team delivering that project. Uh, it's not just, you know, here's my QS, send me my money. It's it's you're actually involved in the in the process and, and helping them, um, you know, I guess helping their business grow. You're, you're part of that that journey as well. Um, I've got one client that I first funded their first project in 2007. Uh, so we're going back, you know, 16 years, and I'm still funding their projects today. I mean, that's the journey that um, you know some marriages don't even last that long. And yet, I've been I've been funding that guy's projects for for 16 years, um, and we're we're literally settling one this Thursday for him. Another 4.8 million dollar loan on a 36 lot land subdivision and. You know, we're still doing business today, helping through that whole journey. Uh, it's it's something that when you actually treat your consultants like they're part of your team, you you get a really good outcome because you're uh, you know you're you're in it together. Yeah, I, I often talk about putting together that A team, trying to get your A team together, and how it's a evolutionary process of trying to find the right people to to make up your team. And I yep. think it's a good point that you make when you find consultants and people who move beyond just providing that functional service to you to a much more of an advisory role. And it's it just takes everything to a whole new level. Absolutely. And yeah, building that project team is is important. I will give my book a plug up here. Uh where I do there is a chapter on that, is building that that right project team because um uh, i've done both project delivery myself and and financing since 2006 um and uh yeah i think it's a, a critical aspect that i think some people just 
you know, treat pretty lightly. I think it's something that is worth investing that time. And that's why I say go and go and interview the the value of the builder, the lender, the QS before you need them. Um, go and have that meeting and and just get to know them, get familiar with them, ask them all those questions. Um, I think it's a, the right thing to do so that when you do need them, it's not introducing yourself for the first time. It's like, hi, um, you know, I spoke to you a couple of months ago. I've now got one that's live and ready to go, and I'd, I'd really like to work with you on this. That to me is the best uh, way to create a new relationship. Um, I just had a meeting with some some two young guys there who are exactly that. They'd read my book. Uh, they referred to me by two or three of my current uh, borrowers. They came in and they sent me their current project that they're funding. I, I modelled it up into a desktop kind of discussion paper, sent it to them. They came into the office. We got to meet each other, talk through a couple of scenarios, um, and then now when they've got a live deal, they'll send it through and we'll jump straight on it. We know who they are, what they've done, uh, you know, what their approach is, what their business model is, and, and we can then help them in the best way we can as opposed to just sending in a fees saying, give us your quote. It's like, well, hang on. We kind of want to, um, you know, eyeball you and get to know you before we just start sending out random quotes to random people. So uh, I definitely recommend that not just with us but with, as I say, builders, Valuers, QS, other people in your team. You probably do it with your architect as well. You 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 know want to get to know them and understand how they approach things. Yeah, and the book that you're referring to, Dan, is Constructive Finance by Dan Holden, and a very worthwhile book. It is reading. I have it as a recommended reading for people in my training and to anyone else who's in development. Thank you. Yeah, so we were Amazon bestseller when it launched, and I think we've just ticked over maybe eleven hundred copies sold. Uh, so it's constructivefinance.com.au. Um, and if you buy it through that website, I'll sign it personally, uh, uh, write your name and send it out to you. Um, but it's also, I think, available on Audible uh, as well for people that like to walk and listen and read. Yeah, I think at yeah. one point yeah. I saw that it was a um, it was a high pro, uh, high. It was highly common that people were buying your book and my book together, <laughs> which I thought saw was that. A- yeah, well, was it like a, a some type of bundle deal or whatever? <laughs> yeah, that was a bundle like deal. That. People were buying it together. Yeah. I thought that's perfect. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, no, is good. Good to see. Um, yes, it's a really important point that you make about trying to find a team to put together or putting the team together before the project actually comes about. And a lot of people, I think, when everything's running smoothly you just have a view of somebody providing a functional service and then that's it like a qs so i'll just do i just need the report once a month just spit that out and that's all you know pay you a thousand bucks or whatever it is that's all i need from you and that's probably the case when everything's going smoothly but when you're facing some challenges that's when you really start knowing who the good people are who've got your back who've got the experience can guide you through it, give you advice. And I think we've been through a period like that and the yeah, the, the real cream has come to the top. So now is a very good time to be reminded that you need to go searching for the good people before your project starts because when it hits the fan, it's too late to switch out your QS when you're halfway through and things start going wrong. That's all right. No, hit the nail on the head there. It's good. All right, Dan. Well... Let's hope, uh, oh, that's one thing I did want to say is that the outlook is still fairly positive from a development point of view, I think, because we've got all these people coming into the country, you've got reduced capacity to be able to build, people are a bit apprehensive about getting builds started, so if you can get a project started and finished, 
I think you're going to be looking pretty good over the next. I think so, and, and yeah, that's why I say I'm. Uh, many lenders might fund a project that isn't necessarily twenty percent perfectly picture perfect viable. Um, I, I take a, a slightly more optimistic view, and and I think that the lack of job starts now means that in twelve months, when that project is finishing, there's less comp- competing stock. Um, I think the valuations might go backwards at a rate of knots. Um, uh, if they have in the last twelve months, I think that's over, and and that we'll see a more stability going forward. Population growth, like you say, is going to uh, underpin a lot of that. Um, I'm seeing a lot more build and and hold projects coming through now, um, as opposed to build and sell. Uh, and that uh, again, we're in support of. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm the reason I look at it in an optimistic view is because in 12 months, when you go to put a for sale sign up on that completed product that someone can move in 30 days' time, uh, there, there, there won't be uh, a for sale sign every third house like you might have seen last. 12 months, it feels like every third house has a project launch and a street record and a suburb record and all this kind of stuff. I think uh, fast forward 12 months from now, there won't be as many things finishing. So you'll have that opportunity to, uh, uh, you know, let the market dictate your price as opposed to I'll take whatever you can get me. It's the market actually competing and trying to buy that product because it's such a great project and a great location. It, it You know, you'll see the market there to to buy it and, and even potentially overpay for it. All right, and if people are interested in finding out more about Holden Capital, where should they go? Yep, so um, hcp.fund is our website uh, for borrowers and investors alike. We're uh, now opened up to new investors. We've just ticked over $400 million, uh, that we've raised from our investors over the last um, six years since we started on the lending side. Um, we've had no loss of capital. I think we're averaging about 12, 12.08% per annum return to our investors. Um and yeah, people are investing in in pretty stable kind of uh, uh, developers and borrowers, which is good. Um, and yeah, on there is a product sheet that people can download to have a look at um, the types of things that we're lending on and the types of things we can do. Um, and yeah, once you've got that that scenario, uh, feel free to contact me or one of the team, and um, we'll quote it up for you. I actually think you were on the podcast for the first time about six years ago. <laughs> Dan, there you go. There you go. You've been coming on the show. <laughs> Yep. Excellent. That's good. Good milestone. One of our very first guests. So, uh, no, congratulations on getting to that stage. That's uh, really awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. All right, Dan, as always, fantastic to have you on the show. I promise I'm going to leave it 12 months to get you back on. So we'll hear from (laughs) you at some stage in 2024. And thanks uh, for getting us up to speed with what's happening. Awesome. Thanks, Justin. Good to chat. See you, Dan. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.